We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Where does Nico Horner fit in your ideal Cub lineup? Is he your everyday shortstop? Yes, he is. I I hope that that's the case uh, for him. Um, I think the Cubs need somebody like him to be able to play every day. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Welcome back. We're here until 11 o'clock, and, that we, and then we will give way to a extravaganza out in Las Vegas from 11 to 2, Matt Spiegel and Dan Bernstein, probably with a taste of Shane Reardon and Chris Tannehill as well. They are live from the Circus Sports Resort in Vegas. They will do a show until 2 o'clock. And then stick, keep it right here on the score. Cubs baseball. They play the Padres today at 3. And then it all gives way, builds a bridge to the Bulls basketball. Must-win game tonight in Cleveland against the Cavaliers. Pre-game is at 6.45 with Chuck, with Chuck and Bill. And, Bruce, we came into the segment. That was my question on Friday to Ron Coomer. And it was inspired by the story you wrote about Nico Horner on 670thescore.com. Nico Horner told you that he wants to be the everyday shortstop at, uh, uh, at Wrigley Field for the Chicago Cubs. Is that realistic given his versatility and given the fact that they did sign Andrelton Simmons to a one-year contract and he is a gold-glove shortstop? David, let me answer that in, in a couple of different ways. First of all, if he is going to be your shortstop, he's got to play the position every day. We cannot hear about him going to center field. We cannot hear about him going to third base. We cannot uh, hear about him being the ultra utility man. That is just not an answer at this point in time. With a veteran like Andrelton Simmons signed for one year behind him, I think that's just a security blanket, Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simmons, a uh, four-time gold glover, a veteran guy, is not brought in here to be the everyday shortstop of the Cubs for the next four or five years. This thing has to be played out to the point where, if healthy, and again, um, he is in great shape, and uh, he has those uh, visits to the uh, uh, injured list last year behind him, if healthy, you have to let him play all 150, 160 games, okay? He's got to be in there every day. He's got to prove to himself. He's got to prove to the manager. He's got to prove to the front office that he can play that position every day. Uh, and, and he is hell-bent on doing that, you know, from my conversations with him. He's in really good shape. Obviously, two years ago, uh, he put on 30 pounds of a muscle mass, uh, mm-hmm. He redistributed some of that this year, uh, adding uh, a little bit more flexibility to his uh, upper chest area and his arms to make sure that he is the fluid athlete that he always has been and a middle infielder from the time he was a young man through college, being drafted number one by the Cubs and, and now the potential shortstop. But 
David, he needs repetitions. He just has to play there. I think you have to live with it, and you hope. Uh, I think he's going to hit, but you, you got to hope that he can handle that position from the defensive part. We don't know that yet. We know he was a good second baseman, a really good second baseman, but playing shortstop, that's a different animal altogether. 312-644-6767. Where are you, Cub fans, in your confidence level with Nico Horner, there's not going to be Carlos Correa coming to town. Trevor Story's a Red Sox. You can't get anybody else on the free agent market. Nico Horner is your shortstop of the future and maybe the present, as he declared this week. That's his desire. Bruce, you're right. I think that offensively, you wonder what his ceiling is. I think defensively, you hope that he can translate the skills that made him a very above-average defensive second baseman and he can still have the range at shortstop and show the arm off. I wonder where you are in terms of the chemistry between Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner is going to help their infield defense. I think it's not an insignificant detail that these two guys have known each other and played together. They played baseball since they were 9 and 10 years old. They're from the same area. They have a, a relationship and a rapport that, you know, we can make too much of sometimes in the media, but, Bruce, I think that's – that's relevant here when we're wondering the, wondering how Nico Horner is going to adjust as an everyday shortstop. It helps to have a buddy next next to you in the infield. I think if you're a Cub fan, you should be excited about this. Uh, when was the last time you remember a shortstop and a second baseman with a high upside number one picks uh, looked at as uh, you know top of the line players uh, were. Uh, Coming up basically at the same time, Madrigal played his rookie year last year initially and got hurt. Uh, but from the perspective of uh, starting their careers out together, uh, pretty much the same age, as you said, David, the same background, having played together, it should be an exciting time for them because Madrigal, I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, if he can stay healthy on the field, and again, that's been the challenge for both Horner and for Madrigal is staying healthy on the field and showing that they can play 150 ball games. Uh, this should be an exciting time to for for Cub fans to watch these two develop. Before we get to the phone lines, Bruce, do you like Nick Madrigal leading off? Is, is he a better guy to put ninth, or is he a better guy to lead off because of his propensity to make contact? He's not going to strike out, and he could be a catalyst at the top of that order. Yeah, ideally he doesn't walk, David. Okay. But that might come with uh, experience uh, because obviously he knows the strike zone. He makes consistent contact and he makes hard contact. For a little guy, he he really has a lot of power up the gaps. Uh, so you're not going to see a lot of home runs from Nick Madrigal, but you're, you're going to see hard contact. And that's um, a distinction. I, I think he should probably lead off. I, I don't know how much speed... It was taken away from the uh, hamstring injury and the hamstring uh, surgery that he had last year. We'll see. I don't think he was a burner to begin with. I think he's a very good base runner uh, that has learned to run the bases a little bit better than he did when he was with the White Sox. So uh, I, I think um, two things. One, on this team, other than Contreras, who they've tried there and he has let off quite a bit recently, uh, I, I think he's the most ideal guy to lead off uh, the lineup for the Chicago Cubs.
What do you think, Cub fans? 312-644-6767. The score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. That's where we find Joe from Elmhurst. Joe, welcome inside the clubhouse. Uh, thank you. So on, uh, just two real quick things, but what you're talking about right there, I didn't understand why from the moment the Cubs got Nick Madrigal, a number one pick, highly regarded by most people, not everyone, and they have Nico Horner, their own top pick. This is what you want for the Cubs. They're surrounded by some veterans. They're showing they're willing to try and be competitive this year. They have those two young kids in the middle learning how to play in the big leagues at the same time. They're both you know, on-base guys. Let everybody else be the sluggers. You know, how else will you find out what you may have? So look at it. It reminds me of Sox fans not saying, yeah, Andrew Vaughn needs to be an everyday player. Go with that. One other quick thing, Bruce, I remember when uh, Jerome Holtzman invented the save uh, stat. I'm wondering, what right. are you going to invent some way to quantify uh, super utility men? Because the <laughs> game has changed. No one plays 160 games anymore. He's the equivalent of it. Glory Garcia and those others more and more. They're the equivalent of an everyday player. Who's who's the uh, silver slugger among six, uh, ninth, tenth men? I guess you'd call. Them. Thank you, guys. Great uh, job this morning. Thanks, Joe. Bruce, that's an interesting stat. If a guy plays more than three or four positions, uh, more than twenty games at each position, does that qualify him for the super utility silver right. slugger award? It should be called the Zobrist Award. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because because no one personified uh, from the from the middle 2000s forward, uh, playing positions, different positions well, and helping teams win championships than Ben Zobris. Uh, so I, I, think that, I think that's a great suggestion by Joe. Uh, the, the idea that uh, you need to have that ultimate 10th uh, man uh, who is a um, position player at all positions, and again, it's clear, it's clear that you must identify that guys aren't just playing positions, but that they are at least average to above average at all those positions you put them at just to get a bat in the lineup. And, and that's pretty much been the case is that uh, a lot of guys have been uh, duplications of each other on teams, and, and managers and front offices have had to be creative about saying, oh, yeah, he can play left. Sure, he can play third. No doubt right. he can play second base. How well do they play it? You, you rarely hear people saying, oh, yeah, they're above average at all of these positions. And the positionless aspect is something that teams have embraced maybe out of necessity, but it certainly makes uh, guys more valuable and you get more out of, out of uh, each player on your roster. To that end, Bruce, I think we haven't talked a lot about this spring Clint Frazier, a player that I always wonder, where does he best fit? You know, he can – his versatility is maybe a blessing, but what if it's a curse? Because you wonder the more he moved around, is, is that give him more opportunities to play or would he be better off sticking at one spot and doing it well? How do you factor in Clint Frazier, who started a field yesterday alongside Hayward in center and Suzuki in right? Well, uh, until they got Suzuki, they were very left-handed. You know, I, I mean, you know, you had you, you had most of your starters that were left handed, you know, 
You had Ortega left over from last year who did a really good job. You have uh, Hap, who is a switch hitter, but is predominantly a strong left-handed hitter. You have Hayward, who's a left-handed hitter. So I think there's a lot of reps there for Frazier, unless a trade is made to bring in another right-handed hitter and a young star center fielder type, uh, you know, in a trade that, you know, maybe if Contreras is involved, you, you definitely have to get back uh, a center fielder or a catcher. So from, from, from that perspective, I think there's a lot of bats out there for Frazier uh, going forward this year. And, and he has shown uh, that he has, he has four-tool, sometimes five-tool ability. I'm not saying five-tool player that's a superstar. I'm saying guy that can contribute with all five tools. So from that perspective, I, I think he, he will show and there will be opportunities for him to play a lot this year. Frazier, Hap. Hayward, Suzuki. No room for Brennan Davis, so they sent the young man down to minor league camp yesterday. Still the 15th overall prospect in Major League Baseball, according to MLBPipeline.com. The Cubs' number one overall prospect, according to those rankings, Bruce. Do you think that because of Suzuki's signing, because of, obviously, Frazier's presence, the timetable with Brennan Davis was affected? Uh no, I don't. I, I think, you know, he only played a handful of games at uh, AAA last year. So, David, from that perspective, he needs a full year. He's only 22. He needs a, a full year or a good four months at AAA. And let him go dominate there, okay? He'll tell you when it's time, all right? Yep. The, yep. Let him put pressure on Hoyer. Let him put pressure on the Cubs front office to bring him up. I think that would be a pleasant situation that Hoyer and everybody would embrace. Yeah, it's his time. Now, are we going to bring him up or are we going to wait until the second week of April in 2023 and make sure that we get the seventh year out of him? That is, that's still in play. Uh, that rule is still in play. That It's unfortunate, but um, I'm hoping the way the Cubs are going, the direction they're going, that when he is ready, he comes up and he gets that last four to six weeks of baseball at the major league level, and he is ready for 2023. Let's go back out to the phone lines where our buddy Rich from Old Town has a question about Jason Hayward. Morning, Rich. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, great show. I couldn't help but think when you had the Hayward interview on and then the stat about utility infielder, <laughs> I started thinking, what do you do with Hayward you got the highest-paid utility outfielder now, and you got kind of a crowded field, and you got universal DH. I understand that, but as you guys know, he's not a prolific hitter. So, what do you do with Hayward when you got a guy like Davis sitting in the minors? It sounds to me like he's on his way out. And is there a way to pedal Hayward to bolster other position players, or even a starting pitcher, if you wanted to subsidize? And, the, and as you know, some teams will do this. If you want to subsidize Hayward's contract to unload him when you've got a, a wealth of outfielders, I don't get where Hayward fits in. I appreciate your opinions. Thanks, Rich. Well, Bruce, is Jason Hayward a guy you can move around to left field even if you need to to get the maximum out of his availability and his contract? I don't know. I mean, I, I would say this. There's $44 million remaining on his contract status mm-hmm. for two years. I think, 
I think it's it's kind of an NBA situation with, when it comes to trades that you have to find a similar contract somewhere else that isn't exactly where a player isn't exactly fulfilling what the team wants for that money, but therefore he would be a better fit somewhere else. I, I think that's a possibility. Uh, $22 million is a lot of money, but uh, uh, as time is going on here, uh, con- portions of contracts can be eaten, and I think there could, could be something creative down the line. The number one thing Jason's going to have to do is show that he can, he can still play, and he came off of a really bad year offensively last year, injury at the end of the year. Uh, if he can hit, and he hit early, he can hit early, I think a trade could be made. Uh, otherwise, uh, he's your center fielder, at least in a platoon, until further notice. It's a sunk cost at this point to some degree, and the, you just are going to have to absorb some of those realities because of his contract has made him immovable. So you have to get what you can get out of him. Maybe he gets off to a fast start and those things yeah. change. I, I but mean, he did sound like a willing participant in this uh, in this move center field. I don't know what his options would be, Bruce, but he does – he does strike me as a guy that is going to be the consummate pro either way. We have seen that time and again. So he's not going to hit what you want, but he does play an above-average outfield, and that's going to be something that I think that they will lean in uh, and, and wait and see how things unfold. Some of the White Sox with their bullpen, a lot of roles to be determined yet. We don't know what they're going to do with Craig Kimbrell. How does Joe Kelly fit? Hey, by the way, Kendall Graveman, he's there. You remember him from the playoffs. He was pitching against the White Sox. Now he's pitching for him. We will talk to him next on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome back Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. David Hoff, Bruce Levine, until 11 o'clock today, talking baseball. And, and Bruce, uh, we're going to speak with Kendall Graveman in a few minutes here from Glendale, a White Sox relief pitcher who fits into that bullpen nicely. There are a lot of relievers that fit into that bullpen nicely. Joe Kelly has arrived. Uh, I think when you talk about Velasquez as a, uh, a guy that's a swing guy, okay, Ronaldo Lopez, what's his role? Let's start from the back. We know Liam Hendricks is one of the best closers in baseball, if not the best in the last couple seasons. How do you see the White Sox building a bridge to Liam Hendricks? And what role does Graven play, Joe Kelly, Aaron Bummer, and, hey, Craig Kimbrell, still there? Yeah, that's going to be the, the clunky part is if a trade isn't made uh, with Kimbrell before opening day, um, how does Larusa not only navigate all those very good relievers but keep them, quote-unquote, happy as far as their role goes. I mean, we know Kimbrell thinks himself a closer. He has been a dominant closer in his career. He was the most dominant closer in baseball the first months of, four months of the year in 2021 for the Cubs. He was not good with the White Sox uh, as a setup man. So from all of that, you have him, you have Kelly, you have Graveman. They are awesome pitchers that can set up or close in a pinch, uh, if if indeed uh, Hendricks is not closing on a particular day, I can't imagine that because Hendricks just has turned into this like uh, super pitcher who wants the ball every single day and is not happy unless he gets it. But uh, realistically, you you have all these tremendous right-handers to go along with Bummer from the left side, 
you are you are loaded on paper. And again, you have to be careful when you talk about on paper when it comes to these situations. But these are accomplished uh, pitchers who are waiting there to help the White Sox win this year. This is what I wonder. I wonder this. Kimbrell has Hall of Fame credentials, so I understand why he gets hung up on pitching anywhere but the ninth. Other guys are more flexible. Joe Kelly says, I'll pitch wherever you want, and I think that his resume suggests that he can do it very well. His playoff experience is such a plus that 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 explains why he's here. Kendall Graveman, former starter, kind of worked back. You know, he, he was a starter on some teams, and then all of a sudden he found this role and established it and carved out a very nice major league niche as a relief pitcher, as a specialized guy, maybe a setup guy. Do you think that the past, if the guys are, are starters who not failed starters, I hate that term, but converted starters are more likely to be flexible and versatile in bullpens because they've already – you know, had to adjust the way that they approach getting ready f- to pitch each and every time? It's a real good question, David. Uh, you know, again, the mentality of a relief pitcher is so different. There's there's that soldier of fortune mentality that you find with bullpen guys that you don't find uh, anywhere else uh, on a team. They're, they're just, it's a different breed. And, and it's such an important role now. It's always been an important role. Uh, the last 50 years, you know, when they started using bullpens more and went away from nine and ten men pitching staffs, believe it or not, that's what the number was uh, back in the day before 1970. Uh, it, it's such a specialized version that people like to know what their roles are. But uh, in the case of, um, you know, in, in the case of Kimbrell, he's already been anointed a, a future Hall of Famer. Right. So with that in mind, it's a, it's a different dynamic, and our next guest will help us maybe understand that a little bit better. And let's go out to our guest hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and that's where we find White Sox relief pitcher Kendall Graven. Good morning, Kendall. Thank you for joining us. Hey, nice to join you guys this morning. How has your spring been going? Where are you in terms of uh, – uh, your progress and, and how, uh, how, how would you define your role in the Sox bullpen? Um, well, first we'll answer the progress, and I think my progress is going well. Um, I had a really good off offseason. Uh, I feel really healthy. And coming in with the same mindset to um, attack hitters and get outs, and like I said, I, I told <clears throat> um, Rick Hahn and I told Tony and uh, I've told um, cats that, look, I'm here to get out whenever you put me in a baseball game, and I want to help a team win. I'm, I have zero ego about any of this. I just want to go out. If that be in a high-leverage situation in the fifth or sixth when a starter needs help or whether it be we got some guys that need a day rest and I throw later in the game, I say, I, I don't care. I'll be ready. And just give me the ball. I'll be ready to go get out. Kendall, we appreciate you joining us and staying on that topic. Do you understand the difference for a guy that's been a predominantly a closer like uh, Kimbrell? Not to build in an excuse because he's a dominant pitcher with a great winning attitude. We've seen it. He's on a Hall of Fame track. But uh, to see, uh, see him struggle in a different role, do you understand or do you think there is a different dynamic for a guy that's been a closer and then goes back to a setup and then has to, uh, you know, mentally uh, deal with that role 
being a, a little bit different. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to give all all of us an ounce of grace sometimes when you're looking at it. I mean, um, the routine, we're all routine-oriented, I think all of us in, in general in daily life, and especially in the baseball world, you guys know about being around, but, I mean, we have our routines that we get into, and it, it is different, but we also are able to make adjustments, and I know Craig being the caliber pitcher and the just an outstanding teammate and person that he is. I know his his main goal is to also he just wants to win. He's made that known. And for me personally, um, watching him growing up when I was in high school, as somebody I've always looked up to and somebody that's been dominant, his stuff is still elite in, in the big league level. And he, he's going to be um, just fine for our ball club. And he's somebody that I look up to. I'm always trying to gain knowledge. This is my second year as a full-time reliever, so. I'm always asking guys questions um, in the bullpen that have done it a lot longer than I have and had a lot more success than I have. So I'm always trying to pick brains. It's, it's a unique situation. We have um, some guys that, I mean, even Joe Kelly and myself, we've all got saves in the big leagues, and we've also pitched in different roles. So I think it's um, something that they've really uh, sought after this this off season was to sure up the bullpen, and then you got guys like Crochet and Bummer, and there's a lot of different weapons that um, Tony has at his disposal in that bullpen, and I'm I'm excited to go to work with these guys and play 162 and then see what happens after that. Joined by White Sox relief pitcher Kendall Graveman here on Inside the Clubhouse. That's one of the reasons why people refer to the Sox bullpen so casually as the best in baseball, because of all the options, because of all the depth. And, Kendall, you talked about it a little bit. You have 80 starts in your career. So you came in as a starting pitcher and then now you're in, in a bullpen role. In terms of your approach, in terms of your mentality, how difficult of a transition is that? Because, Or does it make you more willing and able to adjust to the various ways that teams decide to use you? Right. There's pros and cons to starting and relieving in, in my mind. Um, I, I feel like I, can, I could do both. Uh, I was a decent starter, but going into the reliever role, one thing I really do enjoy about it is out of 162 games, I show up to the field with the opportunity to impact the game a lot more than when I was starting. Um, and being that, that uh, light switch, having it on when I show up to the field, unlike, you know, if you just made a start, you've got four days where you're just kind of getting ready for your next one. I think it's been good for my mentality. Um, and then... As a pitcher, just showing up and and going with my strengths a lot more and not having to set up hitters as much because you're not facing them two and three times through a lineup is a different adjustment that I've had to make, but it's something that I've enjoyed. And I think that the reliever role, mindset-wise, has fit me fairly well. Kendall, going to a team, actually team by team, you went from Seattle where you were the most dominant pitcher in baseball to Oakland where you continued that dominance and now uh, being over with the Chicago White Sox, signing a big deal with them in the off season. What, what is that uh, mentality like knowing that you, you were able to find a team that wants to win a world series, not afraid to say it, not afraid to, to own the idea that getting a Graveman, getting a Kelly uh, helps them, in their quest to try to win a World Series in 2023 and 22. Yeah, right. It was uh, going into free agency. That was 
top on my priority list was going to a team that was really trying to win. And I think you can look across the league, and um, there's a number of teams that are trying to compete for a World Series, and us being one of them. But at the same time, you still have to go out and you have to execute pitches. It's not just handed to you. October's not just handed to you. And anything in October is a, a very competitive game. Obviously, being with Houston at the end of the year last year was something that was um, a great experience for me to be able to pitch deep in a postseason run and even play for a World Series. Um, there's um, myself and a lot of guys in this clubhouse included that have a a taste in our mouth of playing in the postseason but not winning a World Series. So I think there's a, a extra boost of, hey, let's get there and let's compete for a World Series. So a lot of guys showing up in the camp. There's a lot of eagerness and um, just trying to get off to a great start. And like I said, we still have to prepare. A lot of, you know, the talk outside of the clubhouse and from the media is, hey, these guys have a chance. But you still have to go out and put in daily work and continue to get better and not become complacent. And I think that's something that this whole team kind of has right now. And there's a ton of leaders in this clubhouse that are leading in that direction, and I'm excited to work alongside of them. Before we let you go, we know you have a meeting. When you look at the personalities that are collected in that bullpen between Liam Hendricks and now Joe Kelly, a day in the bullpen in, for the White Sox bullpen is like an evening in, at the improv, I would imagine. <laughs> Where does your personality fit into that mix and how much fun is that <laughs> yeah it's going to be some who knows where the conversation leads down in that bullpen before we go in so it'll be fun times down there um it's a light group it's a group that for now um i've played with liam so i know liam and then joe's been great he has a great personality somebody that i've enjoyed being around already and then i've known craig a little bit from the past and so I have some connections already with some of these guys, but you're right. I mean, you get down in that bullpen, and everybody's got a different personality before they pitch, and then also when they're on the mound and when they're off of the mound, which is good. I think you see that in a lot of um, relievers. And then one thing that I think the older group, the guys, the veterans that we've mentioned right now that have been around for a little bit, still trying to invest in crochet and, and bummer and, and burr and some of these guys that are going to be helping us in the bullpen because them taking their next step as pitchers are going to be huge for our success too. So always trying to invest and talk baseball with those guys is something that I've seen a lot of since I've been over here, and I enjoy that aspect of the game. Um, I've had the, the benefit when I was in Seattle to be one of the older guys and really invest, and I think the guys that are here are doing the same thing, and that's a huge testament to the leadership of this team and it, it helps with the success over a long season. Kendall, uh, David and I really appreciate you joining us today and look forward to continuing our new relationship with you and your re new relationship with the White Sox and the South Side of Chicago. All the best of luck to you. See you in the clubhouse in a couple of days. Thanks, Kendall. Awesome. Thanks, guys. It was an honor. Appreciate it. Kendall Graveman, White Sox relief pitcher, Bruce. <laughs> Really good head on his shoulders, really good arm <laughs> connected to that, to his, uh, you know, the, he's going to be fun to watch. He's going to be fun to listen to and cover because he gets it and he has uh, been around a little bit. So you know what you're getting with him. Yeah, and I was able to uh, talk to him at length a couple times so far this spring down here in Glendale. And uh, he's just a really pleasant guy. I mean, uh, when I told him, 
when I told him that you and I do a baseball show on the weekend, before I even asked him to come on, he said, gee, I, I look forward to coming on with you guys and talking some baseball on a Saturday morning. And, and sure enough, here he's at it. Just a, a really pleasant guy. And I had a, a pretty dominant performance yesterday in his uh, second game out. Uh, he walked one guy, but he struck out two in his one inning. So uh, it was a good pitching day for the White Sox. Dylan Cease was uh, dominant in his three innings, striking out five. So that's, that's good news for the White Sox. Forget about the spring training scores down here. Uh, are your pitchers ready? Are your guys healthy? Are you ready in 12 days to start the season? Those are the questions you want to ask. Speaking of White Sox starting pitchers, there's something we need to get to next before we get out of here at 11 o'clock inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. I just want to want to get something fair done, and it's just uh, unfortunate that this is the spot we're in today. The numbers were like 200. Okay, Bob, you said 50? That was prior to the, the filing, so it's like the negotiation. Yeah. We won't get into specifics. It's just that difference is like – that's where it's like a little frustrating. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 score. David Hall, Bruce Levine. Final segment. That was Lucas Giolito talking about the arbitration dispute with the White Sox. Bruce, I believe the White Sox are making a mistake. It's over $50,000, $200,000. I don't think this is a line you draw in the sand with your ace. Maybe somebody else. I think they're, they're poisoning the well. For future negotiations, I think you disagree, but I think this is a very dangerous uh, situation for the White Sox only because of who Lucas Giolito is and what he represents to this team. David, uh, my first thought is, uh, why do people always take the player's side? Is it because they're the performer? They're the ones that people can relate to? They're the ones that uh, you know you, you, you pay your money to see? Uh, nobody ever pays to see an owner or a front office person. So I, I get that part of it. But it is a two-way street. When you say it was only $50,000, the guy was going to make $7.3 million, okay? So it, it's not like he's going to be out in the street in front of your 7-Eleven asking you to help out on a particular day. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the player's side, but uh, why, why is it always... You know, why is it always the the owner is being punitive? It's a fair question, but I don't think that in my case it is a general blanket statement that's fair to to, to make or an assumption to make because, look, it depends on the player. I think Lucas Giolito has has, has outperformed the contract and his salary. So in this case, I think that if you're the White Sox, you recognize that, you realize his value to you, and you – you acquiesce. You meet him in the middle. You compromise. It, look, it, it, Jason Hayward, our, our previous guest last hour, I think if he were in this situation, you might not be in the same sort of p- position to support the player because of what his contract has represented and maybe he hasn't lived up to those terms. When you have a guy well, like But he Jimmy had already Nobles, earned that contract. Well, the, 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 the other part is he had already earned that contract. Okay. I, I, I think, Bruce, though, it seems like a, an odd hill to die on if you are the White Sox because you have somebody, right. you are creating a distraction where you don't need to. You could buy the silence here. You could buy uh, serenity in the clubhouse. You don't need Lucas Giolito coming out publicly criticizing your management style because if that's not what he did directly, indirectly he left a mark, and I think that's going to linger, and it was unnecessary. 
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I mean, you have a valid point. It's it's a strong statement saying, you know, uh, you don't want to upset your, uh, uh, you know, one of the faces of your organization. On the other hand, they've talked about a long-term deal before. It's already been reported that uh, they haven't decided on one. He has this year and next before he's a free agent. You know what? Uh, it's not going to make Lucas pitch any any better or worse. It just isn't. I mean, he's not going to be upset and go out there and not pitch as well. Uh, if anything, he's going to be more uh, hell-bent on trying to uh, get a better contract and show that he's deserving of not not just 15 or $17 million a year, but 25 or $30 million in as a, a lead pitcher. You know, right? Uh, again, uh, what is the right timing for this? Do the White Sox and Giolito at this point feel that they're not going to be partners for a long time. Well, they're partners for the next two years, okay? So win a couple World Series, and then, uh, you know, maybe maybe you get a five-year deal with the White Sox for uh, for 130 or $140 million, and uh, everybody's happy. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, I... You know, I, I'm, I'm not always happy with uh, my conversations with uh, Mitch Rosen when I work for my contract, go in there. Um, but uh, it doesn't, regardless of what kind of money I get in that particular year, it doesn't make me feel uh, like I want to work any less or, or give any more. I know comparing myself to a big league player is a stretch, but I think from the perspective of pride in the work you do and uh, what you get paid, you're either out there proving that you're worth what you're getting or out there showing your boss that you deserve a lot more. Bruce, you've got ace caliber stuff today. So before we close, we know we only have a minute. <laughs> you saw Carlos Rodon pitch against the White Sox for the Giants this week. He gave up a home run to Aloy. That was odd to see him in a Giant uniform. Are the Giants going to get their money's worth? Do you think the Sox uh, should have maybe anteed up? Are they going to miss him more than people expect? It's only a two-year commitment. It's actually a one-year commitment. He can walk after the first year. He's a rich man. Congratulations to to Rodon. He talked about you know making the $22 million a year for the next two years. He deserves it. But he's got a lot to prove to himself, too, that he can stay healthy and, uh, and deserve a five-year deal down the line. He's never been healthy a whole year. Uh, tremendous stuff. Uh, a great guy, to, you know, a great teammate. Everybody wishes him well. Go out there and, and kick the doors down. Throw 30 starts, win 18 games, be in the Cy Young conversation, and you'll get your five-year deal. Well, Bruce, you go out there and kick the doors down this week in Arizona, okay? Okay. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB. Bruce Levine on our website. I write Cubs and Sox every day from Arizona about our clubs at 670thescore.com. David, we have people to thank. Yes, we do. Thank you to Jason Hayward. Thank you to Kendall Graveman. Thank you, Cesar. Thank you back at the studio helping us stay on the air. Thank you to Mitch Rosen. And, hey, stay tuned because Mitch Rosen is in Vegas, and so is Matt Spiegel and Dan Bernstein. So is Shane Reardon and Chris Tannehill. They will be broadcasting live from Circus Sports Resort in Vegas. Shane's already had a Bloody Mary. You consider yourself warned. 11 to 2, stay right here on the score. <laughs> For Inside the Clubhouse and Bruce Levine, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball. 
your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.